This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Carver Ties. Fall is here, and with it comes crunchy leaves, pumpkin spice, and sweater weather that puts folks in the mood for planning their winter getaways. As football and food festivals flourish with fun, there's no better time to make sure your destination's message is in front of your target audience. Carvertize, the nation's leading Uber and Lyft advertising company, literally drives memorable advertising campaigns using a national footprint of over a half million wrappable Uber and Lyft cars. Whether you're looking to reach snowbirds, outdoor enthusiasts, lifestyle experiences, or nearby families, you can count on Carvertize to deliver just like it's done for hundreds of national brands and destination marketing organizations. Send your fleet of wrapped Uber and Lyft cars to concerts, big football games, trade shows, and food and wine festivals in the areas and the markets where your top markets exist. Learn how your destination can dominate the streets at Carvertize.com. And if you're headed to Cal Travel or the Maryland Tourism and Travel Summit in the coming months, please stop by and learn more at Carver Ties. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Al Hutchinson. Al boasts more than 30 years of experience in the destination marketing industry and joined Visit Baltimore as president and CEO in November of 2016. Prior to coming to the Queen City, Al was CEO of Visit Mobile and served in leadership positions at DMOs in Virginia Beach, Pittsburgh, Charlotte, and Richmond, Virginia. Al is a Richmond native, proud University of Alabama alumni, and honored to serve as the chair of Destinations International's Board of Directors. He also serves on the boards of the United States Travel Association, Religious Conference Management Association, the American Bus Association, and Tourism Diversity Matters. Al Hutchinson, welcome back to DMOU. Hey, thanks, Bill, for having me. Good to hear your voice, my friend. Always great to have you back. And I got to tell you, I've been in the audience for over two decades of presentations by incoming chairs of Destinations International. And I got to say, yours was one of the most inspiring I have ever heard. It was, to be sure, a call to action when you said, and I quote, the reality is that all our lives have been changed forever over the past two plus years from the pandemic of our lifetime, worldwide social injustice, and currently the war in Ukraine, mass shootings, high gas prices, labor shortages, and trending inflation conditions. And then you said, however, we still have work to do, and our collective thinking, close collaboration, and inclusive partnership will be needed more than ever to make a lasting impact on our destinations now and for years to come. And that's that moment where I kind of sat back and said, okay, this is going to be different. This is going to be cool. So, Well, I appreciate that, uh, Bill. And I think all of us in the DMO space, all, all those things I outlined, we're all dealing with it. And uh, we've signed up for this. We didn't know all this would be, all these headwinds would be coming at us. But uh, you know, we're we're smart people, bright people, and we need to come together and and, and come up with the right solutions. And I, and I think we can. Yeah. Well, during that speech at Destinations International in Toronto, you identified four pillars that would guide the organization over the next year as your year as chair. Now. We have a three-question format, as you know. I could break the rules since you are the chair. <laughs> but I also have a separate question for you as number three, so that would give us five. So with your permission, I'd like to focus on two of the four pillars that you identified. Not saying that continued member growth and engagement isn't critically important. It is. 
but I kind of expect that just as I expect enhanced marketing support. But the other two really stand out for me, and I'd like to go deep with you on those. So sure. one is about workforce development, which is on everybody's mind. So how do you envision Destinations International playing a meaningful role in such a critical, existential, and massive issue in front of us? Well, look, when I was looking at what can I focus on in one year, I mean, I'm only in this role for 12 months, can't change the world, but what can we do to make some lasting impact? And so I talked to a lot of my colleagues around the country, most of them you know personally, and I wanted to get feedback from them that coming in as chair, what is an issue that they feel we need to address? And consistently across the board, workforce development came up. And that's something that small DMOs, medium-sized and large DMOs, we're all feeling the impact of a, a different labor force and a smaller labor force. And I think that's something that collectively as DMOs, we need to have that conversation as to how do we address workforce moving forward. I believe in the DMO space, we should be active participants in this conversation. We may can't lead it, but we should be at the table. And so with that said, Bill, I believe that when you talk about workforce development in the DMO space, in the travel and tourism space, I think two things are working against us. We have a brand problem, a messaging problem. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the Gen Zers, the millennials, they don't want to do what you and I did in this business. They look at uh, the gig industry, Amazon, STEM as being the cool, hip, sexy places to go. So I believe we have to reinvent ourselves, look at the brand, the messaging, how do we make that cool, hip, and sexy for the younger generation? So that's one thing I believe we need to focus on. And I also believe we have a model problem, that the way we've approached business, either in hotels, long hours, low pay, we need to be more creative and and come up with some different ways to approach our work hours and the model of our industry. And so I, I believe that the DMO space, we need to be at the table. But what I'm hoping is that we can take this to organizations like U.S. Travel, for an example, where I sit on their board, their executive committee, U.S. Travel has the bandwidth, they have the thought leadership of all sectors of our industry. Mm-hmm. And maybe they can help us craft what that new story looks like, come up with a framework, if you will, or a template of a new storytelling and give it to us in the DMO space. We can customize it with our voices and faces in our community and really provide a different way of talking about our industry. And I believe it's critically important for us to do this because we need to get the next generation of talent to come into this industry. And if we don't change the way we approach it, come up with a different storytelling, make it, as I said, cool and hip, we're going to go backwards. And so I believe this is a huge area. I don't think the workforce issue is going to go away in the next 12 to 24 months. So we have to double down, be thoughtful, be very creative, and come up with some new ways of attracting talent into our industry. You know, there really is a short game and a long game here. And I hate to shy away from a fight, but I'm not sure that the DMO sector has necessarily a answer or 
a strategy for the short game for that, as you said, next 18 to 24 months. I mean, it's going to come down to, you know, our industry partners flashing some serious cash, being more sensitive to ours. And, you know, who knows, maybe the, the bonus thing continues. I had to laugh. I, uh, and I think I posted it on my blog a few months ago, we were in Northern Wisconsin and this rundown dilapidated Hardee's just off the interstate had a sign saying signing bonus $1,000 for Hardee's, oh, yeah. right? And so I think that it's, it really falls sadly to the industry who has its own raft of issues they're dealing with, and they probably don't have time to do this in a meaningful way. But the short term, the short game is theirs. The long game, I think I agree with you absolutely, is how do we reposition? A lot of that is getting curriculum into the schools, a broader understanding, and maybe some marketing that positions us as probably the most fun you can have and the most enriching you can have. I mean, I think those of us that have been in this business, yeah, the money is important, but the way we make people feel and the memories we help create, you can't beat that. It's just, it is what we do. And if we take such great pride and, and satisfaction in that, but that has to be communicated because right now you're right. I still see people referring to hospitality jobs as uh, you know, chambermaids and burger flippers. And that's just not what it is. No, you're absolutely right, Bill. And I, 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 I do think we have a, a generational gap here that we have to address. And the service industry that you and I love, we fell into this industry, we love it. We have to begin to go back to the younger folks and rekindle that love for serving other folks. And I think we've lost that to a certain extent mm-hmm. in the country. And, you know, just from a fundamental yeah. standpoint of, you know, please and thank you, that's a missing element. And we need to get back to talking to our young people about the importance of of service. That's not a bad thing. And if you fall in love with it, then the world's your oyster. You can grow in so many different directions in this industry. So I think in a way, we've been a little passive with this message and uh, we have a huge opportunity to, to reinvent it and and tell a bigger, bolder story than, than we've ever told before. And I do keep getting back to curriculum in our high schools and in our tech colleges and, and even in the four-year institutions. And I think that a lot of DMO CEOs and leaders are ill-prepared to have that conversation with local and regional educators. I think we need a toolkit. I, I hate toolkits, but I mean, I think we need talking points. We need, we need some guidance you know, that gives us the compelling argument to go to those who build curriculums in our schools to say, you know, there's a lot of, of your students that really don't want to do STEM, that really this is perfect for them. And don't you want to make sure that you're satisfying all the needs of all of your students to get them forward? And- Agreed. Hey, look, here's the reality. I could not have done STEM. Let's be very <laughs> sure truthful you here. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's not my deal. The sciences, the engineering track, you know, the calculus, even though I took calculus, that that wasn't my deal. That wasn't yeah. my jam, as, as the young folks say. But I do believe, and I think you're absolutely right, we need to come up with some kind of, almost like an academy, if you will, to correct the dots K through 12, talk about travel and tourism, connected to our community colleges, connected to our four-year institutions, connected to the workforce. And that's where the opportunity is, I believe. And if we can create sort of like this Disney 
story or Chick-fil-A or Southwest or Nordstrom's, whatever those iconic customer service brands are, and be able to come up with that template that we can take to the educational platform. And all of us are talking from the same hymnal in our destinations. I think that's where the opportunity is to really make this an industry focus, and we can begin to change the entire visitor economy in our individual destinations. And not to lay another log on what is already a huge issue, but I got to tell you, as we're banging around the country working with DMO boards and staff, what we're beginning to realize is it's not just workforce, that the workforce problem is maybe not at the root. It is maybe the result of, of a bigger issue, which is affordable housing. And we're finding that, that, you know, there are people who want to work in our industry, but because they can't afford to live within a mile or two of wherever they're being offered a job, I mean, they have to drive 30, 40 minutes, and some of them don't have cars. And that's really conspiring in a lot of destinations to also be part of the problem. So I, I don't want to add that to the fire, but I think we have to just identify that that's also Um, one of the reasons that we're struggling. You're right on, Bill, and therein lies the complexity of this issue, right? Because I think the housing component, you have the child care component, Mm -hmm. you have the transportation component. As you mentioned, urban hubs like Baltimore, a lot of our folks, they catch public transportation to come to their jobs. And if they're not making the hourly wage, they're concerned about child care, they can't afford to get to the job. So this is a very complex issue and it's one that's going to take some really thoughtful conversation and um, and it's going to take some time. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got nine more months, so get on it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the other pillar I want to go after is equity, diversity, and inclusion. As you said from the stage, this is never about pushing anybody from the table but bringing more people to the table and expanding our opportunities for all. In your year as chair, what's next for diversity, equity, and inclusion for you? Well, and then let me be really clear about that uh, quote that you, you said for me about this category of equity, diversity, inclusion has never been about pushing anybody from the table. And I think it's important for my white friends and colleagues to understand when you're talking about that in your communities, it shouldn't be looked at as a, as a threatening type of conversation or one that's leaving our talented white brothers and sisters out of the conversations. Never should be about that. But what it should be about is how do we bring some underserved communities, some folks who have not been a part of the C-suite conversation, how do we bring them into the fold? And so that's more women, more people of color, Uh, more LGBTQ plus folks at the table. And I think that's where the challenge for all of us are moving forward. Number one, we have to identify that in most DMO organizations and in our industry in general, we're lacking diverse leadership at the top. A lot of us are in uh, entry level positions. So if we can acknowledge that that is an issue, that's a challenge, then from there, we need to bring more to the table. So I would say to you that my focus is going to be from, and and to Don Welsh's credit at at Destination International, bringing in someone like Sophia to be the first chief diversity officer, that makes a statement. Yeah. 
number one, DI has never done that. And Melissa Cherry did a great job of leading us, but now we have someone who's dedicated, focusing on that issue. And I think when you deal with this issue, because it's, it is complex and it's something that we've been challenged with for 400 years as a country, we need to have someone who's focused on this issue and then can bring other leaders to the table. So now with Sophia at the lead, also everything we're going to be doing at DI, it will have an equity, diversity, and inclusion focus to it. Everything, whether it's hiring, whether it's dealing with vendors, whether it's uh, thought leaders at our conferences, at our meetings, we should have that track. And so that's a first for Destination International. So I think it's a step in the right direction. I think we're better as an organization, as a community, as a destination, when we have talented leaders from all spectrums of life. It uplifts everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I believe I'm better as a leader if I have folks from who look look at things a little differently than me. They grew up differently than me. I think it's important for us to embrace the human spirit from all sectors. This is a conversation that as an industry bill, we have to continue to have. It should not be a threatening conversation because it's really about being a good human. And as a good human, we want the best and the brightest talent, and we want to be able to move our destinations forward. So this is a conversation that I'm excited about, but I think it's a conversation that everyone should be excited about because we want to move the DMO organizations forward, but we want to move our communities forward. And the community means everybody. <laughs> no one has ownership on community. So um, I think this is a great conversation for DI to take a leadership on. And as an incoming chair, I want to be at the table to, to amplify uh, the importance of, of, of this initiative. And with no disrespect to any other community development organization in our communities, I think that those of us in the destination marketing and leadership arena are really best suited, not just for marketing our destinations to everybody for every reason, but to take this mantle on because I'm not sure what other community development organization sees this as significant as we do. We have the ability to move, as you said, to move the community forward. It's not just about us. I mean, we gotta get our own house going first. But our influence in a community, I think, goes a long way. And if they see that it's important to us, that we're acting on it, that we make it a pillar of what we all do, not just at DI, that the community will start to understand that, okay, there's something here that we need to, to follow suit. Agreed? I agree with you 100%. And I use Baltimore as an example. You know, we're a majority-minority community. Right. So 66% African-American. So for us at Visit Baltimore, we should be taking the lead to be representative of what Baltimore City looks like. So if I can show that we're doing the right things from a hiring in, we're doing the right uh, processes from dealing with vendors, and I can showcase to neighborhood leadership, to political leadership, to faith-based leadership, then they embrace that. And then all of a sudden, I, I create more champions in the community that can wave the flag about the work that Visit Baltimore does. And then for my external customer, my visitors, they begin to see a, a community that's welcoming to all people. I've used that as an example for communities who are maybe predominantly white 
or less minority led, their population is not like that. I still believe this is something they should embrace as well because they want all people to come visit their destination as well. So if, yeah. if right. you know, you're in a predominantly white community, you should want to be able to showcase that your city is welcoming to people of color, to people from the LGBTQ plus community, to people who may be Muslim and your community is more Protestant or Catholic. So I believe the communities that are willing to look at our work in a much more inclusive way will be the communities that will win in the future. And winning, I mean, attracting talent, people who may want to relocate their businesses there, send their kids to school in your community, in addition to bringing a conference or convention to your town. We have to be broader in our thinking process now as DMO leaders than just heads and beds. Oh, yeah. I believe those leaders that can do that are going to be the ones who really move the needle further than others. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about workforce development from a hospitality standpoint, but from a broader role, I think all of us in the DMO world need to be understanding that what we do is workforce development at even the highest level to convince people from outside of our community that this would be a great place to raise their family, a great place to to call home. And it may not have been on their radar screen before, but if they if we can get them to, to come and experience, then they may consider, you know, when we're talking about, you know, university professors, healthcare professionals, you know, the highest salaried, successful professional possible. We want them in our community just as much as we want um, the visitor. No, I said 100% agree with you for sure. Part of what we have to do is actually hearken back, God, it's been what, 15 years since Richard Florida penned that amazing book, The Rise of the Creative Class. And he identified 15 years ago that there were three pillars of where new talent wants to go. And one of those pillars was a diverse community, that they don't want to go to a single ethnicity community. They want the richness of a diverse community. And he identified that 15 years ago, and we're still struggling with it. We are. And I think he was right on the money when he bought that up. And uh, I think now the Gen Zers out there that we really want to attract, they're they're only going to go to communities that they feel welcome. And so if I'm, if I'm a young Gen Zer and I have tattoos everywhere, or I have uh, pierces everywhere. They want to feel welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and so Don't we all? I, I think communities that understand that are going to be the ones that are going to be extremely successful moving yeah. forward. Well, all the best on that pillar as well. And you know that uh, you have hundreds of us that have signed pledges and, uh, you know, we're, we're right behind you and um, help us get there. Right. Yes, sir. So third question that I wanted to reserve, because it's something that, yeah, it was kind of through Destinations International, but it really was kind of your deal that you put together and, and, and helped nurture. And that is, as you stood on stage that day in Toronto, you announced that our DMO brothers and sisters had pledged over $100,000 for the Destinations International Foundation, HBCU and Hospitality Scholarship Fund. Tell us more about this amazing initiative, where the money is going, and where the fund balance is today, a few months later. Yes. So this one was truly a brainstorm of mine when I was looking at where could I personally make some impact as the income and chair of DI, not only for the 12 months, 
but how can I leave a legacy personally? And as I thought about it, just as a brainstorm, Bill, I said, well, maybe what if, and I'm dreaming here, what if I could bring the industry together? We create a scholarship for, for students who attend historically black college and universities with hospitality programs. We create a scholarship for them. Most of those students are first generation to college and it would be a way of creating a sort of give back and again, rewarding and really identifying the next generation of talent. I didn't know where this would go, but I thought it would be something that should be discussed. And I said, I don't want to do it for like one year. We should make at, at a minimum a three-year commitment to this. Mm -hmm. And if we could start with some of my uh, friends, uh, African-American leaders in the DMO space, I reached out to them first, about 30 of them. And say, hey, would you be willing to put some money up, make a three-year commitment? This would go to students who attend HBCUs. And they said, absolutely, yes. Reached out to Don Welsh and said, what do you think about this? Could, could we uh, get some momentum on this one and go to some of our, our associations, our business partners? And he says, I think, Al, it, it could go. And so we started to brainstorm on it, put more legs to it. And you're absolutely right. $100,000 was the goal we set. And we raised a little more than that by July in Toronto. But I'm pleased to say at today's date, we're at a quarter of a million dollars raised thus far. Wow. Which is extremely exciting. Wow. However, we are now, we have a task force through... DI's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Subcommittee, and they're creating the criteria. Who do we reward this money to? How much money do we provide each student? And would it, would it go to an incoming freshman or to a junior or senior? That criteria is being developed. And the hope and goal is, Bill, that we'll have the criteria set by late November, early December of this year, and then we'll be able to go out with the criteria to a lot of the hotel flags, we have not talked to Marriott Hilton and Hyatt yet about this. So I truly believe at a minimum, we could have a half a million dollar pledged in yeah. over, you know, per year for three years. And it may continue to grow from there. And uh, the hope will be that in uh, April, May of next year, um, we'll identify some students that will qualify don't know how many, but I'm hoping somewhere between maybe 30 to 50 students out the gate that will be a part of the, the first class. And I really want to invite those individuals, Bill, down to uh, the annual meeting in Dallas in 2023, parade them across stage so folks who've made that investment can see this new talent that's coming into the industry. And not only parade them across stage, but create some opportunities for maybe some job fairs. Some of these students yeah. could be interns, apprentice, full-time employment, mirror or sort of shadow some thought leaders like yourself, me and others, so they can learn more about the industry. I just believe this is going to be a huge opportunity for Destination International. I know this is running through the foundation, but we can own this space. We can lead it and really change some lives and also change the industry for the better for years to come.
Yeah, quarter of a million dollars, and I, I absolutely agree. I don't think a half million dollars is out of range if we get the major corporations involved. And who knows, it could grow even bigger than that, and this could be hundreds of kids every year benefiting from this scholarship fund. I, you know, thank you for uh, the brainstorm that brought this to us and your leadership. It's, it's an amazing program, and uh, we are all too proud to be a part of that. So thank you so much. No, thank you, my friend. Yeah. So time for the bonus round. Uh, last time you were here on DMOU, you blew everybody's mind when you said that your mind was blown at the age of eight when your mom took you to your first concert, which was James Brown. <laughs> yes, sir. That would blow anybody's <laughs> mind. And you were eight. So let's stay in the music vein because it's such a big part of both of our lives. So what is Al Hutchinson's favorite all-time band? So, I, as you know, Bill, lo I love music. I love all genres of music. But I'll go back when I was in high school. So mid-70s, 74 through 78. And I got introduced to a band. And I had my eight-track player in my <laughs> 69 Volkswagen Bug. And right. that band was Earth, Wind, and Fire. And yeah. that was yep. the most incredible band for me during that time period. I saw them in concert three times over the course of my high school and early college years. And I was just, that's what the greatest band. The horn section was just amazing. The vocalists were amazing. And then they're in concerts were just amazing and choreography and everything they did just was just blew your mind so oh yeah that band right there for a 10 year 12 year run pound for pound i'll put them up against any band in the history of music because they were unbelievable yeah. and they were a staple on virtually every dance party cassette <laughs> that I think I was ever part Absolutely. of as we put those together for our keg parties on campus. Uh, you know, it was funny, and I'm sure you know this as a fan, especially as a fan of jazz, is, as you know, we lost Ramsey Lewis um, earlier this month. Oh, yeah, big and, loss. Man. And I was, I was kind of going through trying to find some tracks to put on our Music Friday blog where we always feature. The intent was to feature musicians and music that people may never have found before, some of the rarities. But anymore, it's you know saying farewell to people who have been such a huge part of our lives musically. And I'm going through the, the, uh, all the videos, and I, I stumble upon this one uh, from the Ramsey Lewis Trio, and I go, oh, my. Maurice White was his original drummer. Oh, yeah. And then I realize, okay, so now let's move to the 70s and 80s when they do that amazing track called Sun Goddess. Yes. Which yes. Earth, Wind, and Fire is backing Ramsey Lewis on. And I went, I never made the connection. I'm sure you had, uh, but I had never made that connection that, that Maurice was part of Ramsey's band back in, like, the mid-60s. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think Maurice White, to this day, has gotten his true due, man. He was the founder no. of Earth, Wind, and Fire, musically just an incredible talent. And I think your your listeners should, if you want one of the all-time greatest Earth, Wind & Fire tunes, In the Stone, you put that on in the morning just to get yourself going. It is an incredible, incredible, high energy, great horn section song. So take a listen, In the Stone, right. great, great tune. 
And that may be a Music Friday post coming up. That's a great tune right there, my friend. All right. Hey, Al, thank you for your leadership on so many fronts in our sector, especially that scholarship program just gives me chills. We look forward to assisting you wherever we can to ensure that your four pillars come to life before you hand the gavel off in Dallas next summer. So again, thanks for all you do for all of us, Al. Well, Bill, right back at you. Thank you, my friend. And, you know, to your point, it's so much that's coming at all of us. That means it's going to take a collective effort for all of us to fix this. And uh, I'm just happy to be on the team. I'm running point guard right now, but uh, <laughs> it, it's going to take all of us to, to really yeah. do what we need to do. So I look at you as a great friend, man. And so I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, and we look at you as the leader. So uh, we're all following you, man. So that's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. And thanks to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Carver Ties. Fall is here and consumers begin to plan their winter getaways right about now. There's no better time to make sure your destination's message is in front of your target audience. Carver Ties is the nation's leading Uber and Lyft advertising company, literally driving memorable advertising campaigns using a national footprint of over a half million wrappable Uber and Lyft cars. Whether you're looking to reach snowbirds, outdoor enthusiasts, lifestyle experiences, or nearby families, you can count on Carver Ties to deliver just like it's done for hundreds of national brands and destination marketing organizations. Learn how your destination can dominate the streets at CarverTies.com. And if you're heading to Cal Travel or the Maryland Tourism and Travel Summit in the coming months, please stop by their booth and say hi. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and the new model for destination development, our book destination leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geis. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>